0: I have the opinion in case 21 Moore versus Harper. This case is about setting the rules for federal elections. The elections clause in the federal constitution says that the legislatures of each state shall prescribe the times, places, and manner of federal elections. Times, places, and manner is broad and covers all kinds of rules and regulations from font size and dimensions of ballots to the activity at issue in this case, congressional districting. The 2020 census showed that North Carolina's population had grown by about a million people. So the state was entitled to an additional member in its federal congressional delegation and the state's legislature had to adopt new congressional districts as a result. After the legislature passed a new congressional map, several groups of plaintiffs sued. They said that the map constituted an impermissible partisan gerrymander. In other words, they said that the legislature drew the map to favor one political party. Now we had held in 2019 that partisan gerrymandering claims cannot be brought under the federal constitution because they present what is known as a non-justiciable political question. So the plaintiffs brought their partisan gerrymandering claims, in this case, under North Carolina's constitution. They pointed to that Constitution's promise that all elections shall be free as well as its equal protection, free speech, and free assembly clauses. The North Carolina Supreme Court initially decided that the plaintiff's claims could move forward and it enjoined the use of the 2021 congressional map that the legislature had adopted. Although the court acknowledged our decision that partisan gerrymandering claims are not cognizable in federal court, It reasoned that such claims were cognizable in state court under the particular terms of the North Carolina Constitution. The North Carolina Supreme Court also decided that the Elections Clause of the Federal Constitution did not give the state legislature the exclusive and independent authority to draw congressional maps. It held instead that the legislature had to follow any other pertinent provisions in state law. We then granted certiorari to address that latter question under the Elections Clause. Now before discussing the merits, there is a jurisdictional question in this case. There have been subsequent rulings from the North Carolina Supreme Court addressing various remedial maps adopted below, which raise the question whether the case is moot. We conclude that the case is not moot because there is still a live dispute between the parties with respect to the 2021 congressional map and that dispute still matters in this case. We explain why in our opinion. But the jurisdictional question is technical and, to say the least, does not lend itself to oral presentation. So if you are interested and have a few hours to kill, you can read the analysis in our opinion. The question on the merits is whether the elections clause of the federal constitution insulates state legislatures from review by state courts for compliance with state law. The legislative defendants say that it does. The elections clause, they argue, specifically identifies the legislature as the body responsible for prescribing the rules regarding federal elections. It follows, they say, that only provisions in the federal constitution can restrain a legislature's exercise of authority under the elections clause. State constitutional provisions enforced by state courts have no role to play. The respondents take a different view. They point to the fact that the Framers appreciated the concept of judicial review and wrote the elections clause with that background principle in mind. They highlight our own precedents in this area, arguing that we have already decided that legislatures do not have complete independence to craft rules and regulations pertaining to federal elections. And they cite historical examples of state constitutional provisions governing the rules of federal elections dating back to the founding. We agree with the respondents. In the opinion we announced today, we hold that the Elections Clause in the Federal Constitution does not give state legislatures exclusive and independent authority to make rules governing federal elections free from any constraints in state law. We start with the background principle of judicial review. This court famously pronounced in Marbury v. Madison that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. But Chief Justice Marshall did not invent the concept of judicial review in Marbury. In several cases leading up to the founding, state courts exercised judicial review by questioning and striking down the use of state laws found to violate state constitutions. North Carolina's Supreme Court was in fact one of those courts. Judicial review was so well established by the time of Marbury that Chief Justice Marshall called it one of the fundamental principles of our society. The Elections Clause does not carve out an exception to that fundamental principle of judicial review when state legislatures set the rules for federal elections. Our precedents support that conclusion. In a 1916 case called Davis against Hildebrandt we considered whether an Ohio popular referendum provided by the Ohio Constitution could restrict the state legislature's actions under the Elections Clause. We said yes, rejecting the argument that such restrictions would violate that clause. And in a 1932 case called Smiley against Holm, we considered whether empowering the state's governor to veto election-related bills passed by a state legislature violated the Elections Clause. The Minnesota Supreme Court said it did, According to the Minnesota Supreme Court, the authority of the State Legislature under the Elections Clause is unrestricted, unlimited, and absolute. We unanimously reversed. We concluded that the Elections Clause does not give the State Legislature power to, and this is a quote, enact laws in any manner other than that in which the Constitution of the State has provided that laws shall be enacted. A State Legislature may not, we concluded, create congressional districts independently of requirements imposed by the state constitution. We think Smiley commands our continued respect. And it's not just our precedents that support our decision today. Historical practice confirms that state legislatures remain bound by state constitutional restraints in this context. Many state constitutional provisions, for instance, regulated federal elections at the time of the founding and they also regulated the manner of appointing delegates when the Articles of Confederation were in effect prior to the founding. The Elections Clause borrows language from the Articles of Confederation, suggesting that the framers understood that state constitutional restraints were permissible. The legislative defendants argue that when state legislatures exercise power under the Elections Clause, they are bound only by provisions of the Federal Constitution, because that is the Constitution that gives them the power to act. But that ignores the Framers' understanding of legislative power. The Framers understood that state legislatures were mere creatures of state constitution. When legislatures exercise their ordinary lawmaking power to set the rules regarding federal elections, they are therefore bound by both the federal constitution and the state constitutions that created them. Although we hold today that the Elections Clause does not exempt state legislatures from the ordinary constraints imposed by state law, state courts do not have free reign. We have long said that state courts generally get to decide questions of state law. But sometimes that creates a problem. State courts cannot interpret state law in such a way that they undermine federal constitutional guarantees. To take an example, state law is an important source for defining property rights. But the Takings Clause of the Federal Constitution provides that private property shall not be taken without just compensation. As a result, we have said that states may not sidestep the Takings Clause by simply redefining traditional property interests. The same is true in the context of the Contracts Clause. The Constitution says that no state shall pass any law impairing the obligation of contracts. Now, state law generally defines whether there's a contract. but State courts cannot apply their law about whether there's a contract in a way that makes the Contracts Clause a dead letter. A similar concept applies when it comes to the Elections Clause. The Elections Clause specifically identifies state legislatures as the bodies responsible for setting rules for federal elections. As explained, state laws and judicial review apply to state legislatures when they carry out that responsibility. But state courts may not apply state law in a way that transgresses the ordinary bounds of judicial review such that they arrogate to themselves the power vested in state legislatures to regulate federal elections. Now we have no need to decide whether that happened in this case. That is because the legislative defendants did not meaningfully press this issue in their briefing or at argument. They instead contend that state legislatures have complete independent and exclusive authority to set the rules regarding federal elections And for the reasons I have laid out, we reject that position. We affirm the judgment of the North Carolina Supreme Court. Justice Kavanaugh has filed a concurring opinion. Justice Thomas has filed a dissenting opinion, which Justice Gorsuch has joined in full, and Justice Alito has joined as to part one.